Hi, this is Adam Bergman, tax partner with the IRA Financial Group, and today we're going to continue our discussion on the unrelated business taxable income rules and the self-directed IRA. Title of this podcast is The Self-Directed IRA and the Unrelated Business Taxable Income Rules, Part 2. Part 1 generally discussed the rules concerning how to trigger the unrelated business taxable income when you use a self-directed IRA. And for anyone who didn't have a chance to listen to the podcast uh, one, uh, I suggest you certainly do so. But by way of recap, there's basically several ways you can trigger the unrelated business taxable income. And again, the unrelated business taxable income, also known as UBIT or UBTI, is a tax imposed when an IRA generally does several things. Number one, it uses margin to buy stock. So basically borrows money to buy stock like Apple. And that's one instance where you would trigger this tax. And the basis behind the tax is the IRS felt that an IRA or charity that uses uh, margin is acting more like a business than an investor. And since only passive types of income like interest, rental income, royalties, dividends, capital gains are exempt from this UBTI, someone who acts like a business uh, should pay tax like a business and thus would be subject to this UBTI tax. So margins, number one, with an IRA. Number two is using a non-recourse loan. So, for example, if you put $50,000 down and need to come up with $50,000 more to buy your piece of property, you would borrow money on a non-recourse basis, which means you do not personally guarantee the obligation of your IRA because, of course, personally guaranteeing the loan would trigger a prohibited transaction. We need to stay away from any personal guarantees. Same goes for a credit card. Uh, if you're buying real estate, you want to stay away from any personal guarantee. Debit cards could work. But getting back to the UBTI discussion, number one, margin can trigger UBTI. Number two, if you use a non-recourse loan, that can trigger a UBTI tax. Uh, again, there's an exception for a 401k plan that uses a non-recourse loan. There is an exemption, so no UBTI tax would apply. Fortunately, that would not apply to an IRA. And the third category, which trips up a lot of people, is anytime an IRA engages in a transaction that is requiring it to invest in an active trader business, like a restaurant or a bar or a consulting company or a manufacturing company or a retail store that is operated through a pass-through entity, such as an LLC partnership, would trigger this UBTI tax. And again, there's an important distinction between a pass-through entity and a C-corporation. 99% of all public companies, whether it's Apple, Google, IBM, GE, Ford, they're public companies, they're C-corporations. Think of a C-corporation as a big box. All that income gets blocked in, and it doesn't pass through to the shareholders. So it gets stuck in the corporation, corporation pays tax, and then a dividend gets distributed to the shareholders. An LLC, a partnership, for example, is a pass-through entity. Think of a pass-through entity as a funnel. All that income funnels through to the individual owner. There's no tax at the partnership or LLC level, no federal tax. So that's why the business income that is generated by the pass-through entity doesn't get sucked in or blocked at the C-corp level, but is funneled through or passed through to the individual owners, members of the LLC, and a UBTI tax is taxed on that income. So anytime you're looking to use margin, a non-recourse loan with an IRA, or if you're going to invest in a friend's business, um, a third party's business, you need to make sure if you're investing through an LLC or partnership 
that you are aware of the UBTI rules. Now, one thing that needs to be set clear is you can't use an IRA to invest in your own business or any business that is run by a disqualified person or owned by a disqualified person. And a disqualified person is the IRA holder and any of his or her lineal descendants, so parents, children, spouse, daughter-in-law, son-in-law. So let's focus on the third category, investing in an active trader business. And now let's bring in the equation, the case of real estate. As many people know, real estate could be passive or it could be active. You can be in the real estate business like Donald Trump and, and be a real estate developer and treat it as a business. There's plenty of public companies that are uh, builders, toll brothers that are focused solely on real estate and are in the real estate business. And there's millions of Americans that are passive investors, meaning they rent out a home or several homes, uh, and they declare all that income on a Schedule E. E is an ERIC on their tax return. And they simply don't pay self-employment tax on that income and just pay ordinary income tax on the rental income. And that's okay. Real estate could be both. And this is a very important distinction when you're thinking about UBTI because, remember, UBTI only applies to a business. It does not apply to a transaction or investment that triggers category, five categories of passive income, rental income, capital gains, dividends, royalties, and interest. So it's very important to think about and consider, is your real estate activity a business or is it passive? And there's several factors that a tax court case from 1973, Adams v. Commissioner, 60 TC996, brings into bear and gives some guidance as to whether an activity could be treated as a passive investment, which is not subject to UBTI, and an active business that would be subject to UBTI. The first is the purpose. You know, what was this, the reason for acquiring the asset? If the purpose was to run the business, then clearly it's a business asset. If it's for a passive investment, then it looks better that the asset is passive. The frequency, continuity, and size of, of the activities. Are you buying and selling a house every day, every month, every week, uh, versus once a year or, or once every two years, three years? Those are some of the factors the IRS would look at or a tax court would look at to see whether this activity is a business or not. Of course, the more frequent the real estate activity is, the, the more likely it looks like a business, or more likely someone would argue it's a business and, and prevail versus a infrequent activity like buying a house and selling it once every two years or once every year. That looks a little bit more like an investment. Now, we also have to look at some of the activities of the person doing these, these investments. So the IRA holder, um, the IRS would look at what does this IRA holder do personally? If Donald Trump was using his IRA to buy real estate, that would be a factor the IRS would look at to see whether this activity was uh, passive or active. One of the factors, there's, out of all the factors I'm going to go through now, there's not one that's, that's more uh, important than the other. It's just something, uh, another factor that the IRS would look at and putting it all together uh, would, would help them determine whether the activity was passive or active. So it wouldn't be one thing from one factor that would put you over the edge, although putting them all together could uh, def define kind of whether the activity is passive or active. So getting back to Donald Trump, if he does uh, several flips in an IRA, uh, it would be easier for the IRS to argue that's a business versus the teacher who did one or two flips uh, as, and really is not in the real estate business. What type of improvements are made to this property? 
are you just buying a house and, and doing a little bit of minor uh, improvements and selling it? Or are you buying a piece of land, putting five homes on it, and developing the land, building roads, infrastructure, and then selling those lots separately? That looks more like you're in the development business versus you know, buying and selling a house, which is generally more passive. The proximity of the sales and purchases. Are you, are you buying the house today and selling it tomorrow? Are you holding it for rent? Are you selling it six months later, a year later, two years later? What's your intent? Clearly, if you're buying and selling on a daily or weekly or continued basis, there's not a lot of space between the sale or time between the sale and the purchase or the purchase and the sale. You look a lot like a store buying and selling inventory, like Walmart stocking its shelves with soap, for example. Uh, you look like a business versus someone who may buy a house, rent it out for six months, sell it thereafter. looks more like a passive investor, not someone who's continually turning over inventory. Uh, again, the purpose is important. Why are you buying this asset? That's something that the IRS would look at. But again, the, the most important factors, I think, are uh, intent. What, do you, what are you buying this asset for? And certainly the frequency, continuity, size of these transactions, and the space in between or the time in between purchase and sale. Those are the factors that I think tax court and IRS would look at to determine whether someone in the real estate world is an investor, a passive investor, versus an active trader business. It's all facts and circumstances. There's no clear line. There's no number. I get this question a lot. You know, If I do two flips or five flips or 10 flips or 20 flips, will it move from passive to active? There's no clear answer. No one can say, yes, if you do under three, you're okay. If you do under five, you're okay. It's all facts and circumstances. Yeah, again, the IRS would look at Donald Trump differently than a teacher or a retired uh, uh, lawyer. It all depends on a number of factors, intent, frequency, continuity, the size of these transactions, and, of course, the time between the uh, purchase and sale. So these are factors that you really need to keep in mind if you're doing multiple real estate transactions in a year. Of course, being subject to this UBTI can kill your deal. It can be the difference between tax-free returns or tax-deferred returns and 40% tax. It's an absolute killer, something a lot of people don't focus on. And it's really important uh, for people to do so. The purpose of these podcasts are really to bring out uh, important, important topics that people need to consider, talk it over with their tax advisors, and certainly really consider before embarking on a, a self-directed IRA transaction. So just to summarize, three ways you can trigger UBTI with a self-directed IRA. Margin, using a non-recourse loan, and investing in an active trader business held through an LLC or partnership or any other pass-through entity. When it comes to real estate, it's really facts and circumstances whether the activity is passive and not subject to UBTI, no tax on the UBTI side, or active, a business, and subject to UBTI if there's any net profits. There's multiple factors the IRS and a tax court would look at. Of course, intent, frequency, size, continuity, time between purchase and sale, your intent, also would look at the uh, personal makeup of the IRA holder. What does that person do on a professional basis personally to help determine whether this investment or activity is active or passive? So again, um, I hope you, f you found this podcast helpful. UBTI rules are really important. They come up in, in a whole slew of different uh, areas. They come up in, if you're investing in hedge funds, private equity funds, venture capital funds, if you're investing in a friend's business, you're borrowing money to buy real estate on a non-recourse basis. 
you want to use margin to buy more stock. Uh, it's really important to get a handle on these rules. Um, if you have additional questions, please uh, reach out to a tax advisor. You can always call me, 800-472-0646, uh, extension 12, 800-472-0646, extension 12. Adam Bergman, tax partner with the IRA Financial Group. Uh, you can always email me questions, Adam, B-A-D-A-M-B, as in boy, at iratefinancialgroup.com, Adam B at iratefinancialgroup.com. Check us out at www.iratefinancialgroup.com. You can leave an uh, email or a contact request, and someone will get back to you. But before you do make an investment, certainly you need to look at the prohibited transaction rules. Make sure the transaction would not be deemed a prohibited transaction. And, of course, be aware of the unrelated business taxable income rules, especially if you're using margin, you're using leverage on a non-recourse basis, and you're going to make an investment in a business held through a pass-through entity like an LLC, or you're going to be doing multiple real estate deals in a year. You need to be aware of these rules. You need to go through them and, and, and get a good idea whether UBTI would apply or not because it can really change the, uh, the tax-advantageous nature of the transaction and uh, could mean uh, the difference between doing this investment with an IRA or, or personal funds. Again, Adam Bergman, IRA Financial Group. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, comments, uh, suggestions for additional or future podcast topics, please let me know, 800-472-0646-12, Adam B. at iratefinancialgroup.com. Thanks, and uh, look forward to uh, the next podcast.